The coast of Lormir had disappeared in warm mist, and Duke Avan Strand's schooner dipped its graceful prow towards the west in the boiling sea. The Vilmirian crew of the schooner was used to a less demanding climate and more casual work than this, and they went about their tasks, it seemed to Elric, with something of an aggrieved air. Standing beside Elric in the ship's poop, Count Schmjorgen bald-head white sweat from his pate and growled. Vilmirians are a lazy lot, Prince Elric. Duke of Arne needs real sailors for a voyage of this kind. I could have picked him a crew given the chance. Elric smiled. Neither of us was given the chance, Count Schmorgan. It was a fait accompli. He's a clever man, Duke of Strand. It's not a cleverness I entirely It is not a cleverness I entirely respect, for he offered us no real choice. A free man is a better companion than a slave, says the old aphorism. Why did you not disembark when you had the chance then, Count Schmorgan? Well, because of the promise of treasure, said the black-bearded man, frankly. I would return with honour to the purple towns. Forget you not that I commanded the fleet that was lost. Elric understood. My motives are straightforward, said Schmilgen. Yours are much more complicated. You seem to desire danger as other men desire love-making or drinking, as if in danger you find forgetfulness. Well, is that not true of many professional soldiers? You are not a mere professional soldier, Elric, that you know as well as I. Yet few of the dangers I have faced have helped me forget, Elric pointed out. Rather, they have strengthened the reminder of what I am, of the dilemma I face. My own instincts war against the traditions of my race. Elric drew a deep, melancholy breath. I go where danger is because I think that the answer might lie there. Some reason for all this tragedy and paradox. Yeah, yet I know I shall never find it. But it is why you sail to Rillan Kurinai. You hope that your remote ancestors had an answer you need? Rillan Kurinai is a myth. Even should the map prove genuine, what shall we find but a few ruins? Imrir has stood for 10,000 years, and she was built at least two centuries after my people settled on Malnibane. Time will have taken Hulen Kuren away. And the statue, this jade man Ivan spoke of. Well, if the statue ever existed, it could have been looted at any time in the past hundred centuries. And the creature doomed to live? A myth. But you hope, do you not? That it is all as Duke Avan says. Count Schmjorgen put a hand on Elric's arm. Do you not? Elric stared ahead into the writhing steam which rose from the sea. He shook his head. No, Count Schmjorgen. I fear that it is all as Duke Avan says. The wind blew whimsically. And the schooner's passage was slow as the heat grew heat greater, and the crew sweated still more and murmured fearfully, and upon each face now was a stricken look. Only Duke of Arne seemed to retain his confidence. He called to them all to take heart. He told them that they should all be rich soon, and gave orders for the oars to be unshipped, for the wind could no longer be trusted. 
They grumbled at this, stripping off their shirts to reveal skins as red as cooked lobsters. Duke of Arne made a joke of that, but the Vilmurians no longer laughed at his jokes as they had done in the milder seas of their home waters. Around the ship the sea bubbled and roared, and they navigated by their few instruments, for the steam obscured everything. Once a green thing erupted from the sea and glared at them, before disappearing. They ate and slept little, and Elric rarely left the poop. Count Schmjorgen bore the heat silently, and Duke of Arne, seemingly oblivious to any discomfort, went cheerfully about the ship, calling encouragement to his men. Count Schmjorgen was fascinated by the waters. He had heard of them, but never crossed them. These are only the outer reaches of the sea, Elric, he said in some wonder. Think what it must be like at the middle. Elric grinned. <laughs> I would rather not. As it is, I fear I'll be boiled to death before another day has passed. Passing by, Duke of Arne heard him and clapped him on the shoulder. Nonsense, Prince Elric. This theme is good for you. There is nothing healthier. Seemingly with pleasure, Duke of Arne stretched his limbs. It cleans all the poisons from the system. Count Schmjorgen offered him a glowering look, and Duke of Arne laughed. Be of better cheer, Count Schmjorgen. According to my charts, such as they are, a couple of days will see us nearing the coasts of the western continent. The thought fails to raise my spirits very greatly, said Count Schmjorgen, but he smiled, infected by Ivan's good humour. But shortly thereafter, the sea grew slowly less frenetic, and the steam began to disperse until the heat became more tolerable. At last they emerged into a calm ocean beneath a shimmering blue sky in which hung a red-gold sun. But three of the Vermeerian crew had died to cross the boiling sea, and four more had a sickness in them which made them cough a great deal, and shiver, and cry out in the night. For a while they were becalmed, but at last a soft wind began to blow and fill the schooner's sails, and soon they were sighted. Soon they had sighted their first land, a little yellow island where they found fruit and a spring of fresh water. Here too they buried the three men who had succumbed to the sickness of the boiling sea, for the Vilmurians had refused to have them buried in the ocean on the grounds that the bodies would be stewed like meat in a pot. While the schooner lay off at anchor just off the island, Duke of Arne called Alric to his map and showed him for a second time that ancient map. Pale gold sunlight filtered through the cabin's ports and fell upon the old parchment, beaten from the skin of a beast long since extinct, as Alric and Duke Ivan Ashtran of Old Holmar bent over it. See, Duke of Arne said, pointing, this island's marked. The map's scale seems reasonably accurate. Another three days and we shall be at the mouth of the river. Elric nodded. But it would be wise to rest here for a while until our strength is fully restored and the morale of the crew is raised higher. There are reasons, after all, why men have avoided the jungles of the West over the centuries. Well, certainly there are savages. Some say they are not even human. But I'm confident we can deal with those dangers. I have much experience of strange territories, Prince Elric. But you said yourself you feared other dangers. Hmm, true. Very well. We'll do as you suggest. On the fourth day, a strong wind began to blow from the east and they raised anchor. The schooner leapt over the waves under only half her canvas, and the crew saw this as a good omen. They are mindless fools, Schmjorgen said as they stood clinging to the rigging in the prow. 
the time will come when they wish they were suffering the cleaner hardships of the boiling sea. This journey, Elric, could benefit none of us, even if the riches of Rolene Corina are still there. But Elric did not answer. He was lost in strange thoughts. Unusual thoughts for him, for he was remembering his childhood, his mother and his father. They had been the last true rulers of the Bryce Empire. Proud, insouciant, cruel. They had expected him, perhaps because of his strange albinism, to restore the glories of Malnubine. Instead, he threatened to destroy what was left of their glory. They, like himself, had had no real place in this new age of the young kingdoms, but they had refused to acknowledge it. This journey to the western continent, to the land of his ancestors, had a peculiar attraction for him. Here, no new nations had emerged. The continent had, as far as he knew, remained the same as Rolen Kuren Aar had been abandoned. The jungles would be the jungles his folk had known. The land would be the land that had given birth to his peculiar race, moulded the character of its people with their sombre pleasures, their melancholy arts, their dark delights. Had his ancestors felt this agony of knowledge, this impotence in the face of understanding that existence had no point, no purpose, no hope? Was this why they had built their civilization in their particular pattern? Why they had disdained the more placid, spiritual values of mankind's philosophers? He knew that many of the intellectuals of the young kingdoms pitied the powerful folk of Melnibane as mad. But if they had been mad, and if they had imposed a madness upon the world that lasted a hundred centuries, what had made them so? Perhaps the secret did, did in fact, lie in Rolen Kuren Ah, not in any tangible form, but in the ambiance created by the dark jungles and the deep old rivers. Perhaps here at last he would be able to feel at one with himself. He ran his fingers through his milk-white hair, and there was a kind of innocent anguish in his crimson eyes. He might be the last of his kind, and yet he was unlike his kind. Schmulgen had been wrong. Elric knew that everything that existed had its opposite. In danger he might find peace, and yet of course in peace there was danger. Being an imperfect creature in an imperfect world, he would always know paradox. And that was why in paradox there was always a kind of truth. That was why philosophers and soothsayers flourished. In a perfect world there would be no place for them. In an imperfect world the mysteries were always without solution. And that was why there was always a great choice of solutions. It was the morning of the third day that the coast was sighted. And the schooner steered her way through the sandbanks of the great delta and anchored at last at the mouth of a dark and nameless river. Evening came, and the sun began to set over the black outlines of the massive trees. A rich, ancient smell came from the jungles, and through the twilight echoed the cries of strange birds and beasts. Elric was impatient to begin the quest up the river. Sleep, never welcome, was now impossible to achieve. He stood unmoving on the deck, his eyes hardly blinking, his brain barely active, as if expecting something to happen to him. The rays of the sun stained his face, 
and threw black shadows over the deck. And then it was dark and still under the moon and the stars. He wanted the jungle to absorb him. He wanted to be one with the trees and the shrubs and the creeping beasts. He wanted thought to disappear. He drew the heavily scented air into his lungs as if that alone would make him become what at that moment he desired to be. The drone of insects became a murmuring voice that called him into the heart of the old, old forest. And yet he could not move, could not answer. At length, Count Schmjorgen came up on the deck and touched his shoulder and said something. Impassively, he went below to his bunk and wrapped himself in his cloak and lay there, still listening to the voice of the jungle. Even Duke Ivan seemed to be in a more introspective mood than usual when they upped anchor the next morning and began to row against the sluggish current. There were few gaps in the foliage above their heads, and they had the impression that they were entering a huge, gloomy tunnel, leaving the sunlight behind for with the sea. Bright plants twined among the vines that hung from the leafy canopy and caught in the ship's masts as they moved. Rat-like animals with long arms swung through the branches and peered at them with bright, knowing eyes. The river turned, and the sea was no longer in sight. Shafts of sunlight filtered down to the deck, and the light had a greenish tinge to it. Elric became more alert than he had ever been since he agreed to accompany Duke of Arne. He took a keen interest in every detail of the jungle and the black river over which moved schools of insects like agitated clouds of mist, and in which blossoms drifted like drops of blood and ink. Everywhere were rustlings, sudden squawks, barks, and wet noises made by fish or river animals as they hunted the prey disturbed by the ship's oars, which cut into the great clumps of weed and sent the things that hid there scurrying. The others began to complain of insect bites, but Elric was not troubled by them. Perhaps because no insect could desire his deficient blood. Duke of Arne passed him the, de- passed him the deck. The Vilmarian slapped at his forehead. You seem more cheerful, Prince Elric. Elric smiled absently. Yeah, perhaps I am. I must admit I personally find all of this a bit oppressive. I'll be glad when we reach the city. You're still still convinced you'll find it? I'll be convinced otherwise when I've explored every inch of the island we're bound for. So absorbed had he become in the atmosphere of the jungle that Elric was hardly aware of the ship or his companions. The ship beat very slowly up the river, moving at little more than walking speed. A few days passed, but Elric scarcely noticed, for the jungle did not change. And then the river widened, and the canopy parted, and the wide, hot sky was suddenly full of huge birds crowding upwards as the ship disturbed them. All but Elric were pleased to be under the open sky again, and spirits rose. Elric went below. The attack on the ship came almost immediately. There was a whistling noise and a scream, and a sailor writhed and fell over, clutching at his grey, thin semicircle of something which had buried itself in his stomach. An upper yard came crashing to the deck, bringing sail and rigging with it. A headless body took four paces towards the poop deck before collapsing, the blood pumping from the obscene hole that was its neck, and everywhere was the thin, whistling noise. 
Elric heard the sounds from below and came back instantly, buckling on his sword. The first face he saw was Schmelgen's. The bald-pated man looked perturbed as he crouched against the rail on the starboard side. Elric had the impression of grey blurs whistling past, slashing into flesh and rigging, wood and canvas. Some fell to the deck and he saw that they were thin disks of crystalline rock about a foot in diameter. They were being hurled from both banks of the river and there was no protection against them. He tried to see who was throwing the disks and glimpsed something moving in the trees along the right bank. Then the disks ceased suddenly, and there was a pause before some of the sailors dashed across the deck to seek better cover. Duke of Arne suddenly appeared in the stern. He had unsheathed his sword. Get below. Get your bucklers and any armour you can find and bring bows. Arm yourselves, men, or we're finished. As he spoke, their attackers broke from the trees and began to wade into the water. No more disks came, and it seemed likely they had exhausted their supply. By Shardros, Avan gasped, are these real creatures or some sorcerer's conjurings? The things were essentially reptilian, but with feathery crests and neck wattles, though their faces were almost human. Their forelegs were like the arms and hands of men, but their hind legs were incredibly long and stalk-like. Balanced on these legs, their bodies towered over the water. They carried great clubs in which slits had been cut, and doubtless these were what were used to hurl the crystalline disks. Staring at their faces, Elric was horrified. In some subtle way, they reminded him of the characteristic faces of his own folk, the folk of Malnibane. Were these creatures his cousins? Or were they a species from which his people had evolved? He stopped asking the questions as an intense hatred for the creatures filled him. They were obscene. Sight of them brought bile into his mouth. Without thinking, he drew Stormbringer from its sheath. The black sword began to howl, and the familiar black radiance spilled from it. The runes carved into its blade pulsed a vivid scarlet, which turned slowly to a deep purple, and then to black once more. The creatures were wading through the water on their stilt-like legs, and they paused when they saw the sword, glancing at one another. And they were not the only ones unnerved by the sight, for Duke Avan and his men paled too. Gods, Avan yelled, I know not which I prefer the look of, those who attack us or that which defends us. Hmm. Stay well away from that sword, Schmjorgen warned. It has the habit of killing more than its master chooses. And now the reptilian savages were upon them, clutching at the ship's rails as the armed sailors rushed back on deck to meet the attack. Clubs came at Elric from all sides, but Stormbringer shrieked and parried each blow. He held the sword in both hands, whirling it this way and that, ploughing great gashes in the scaly bodies. The creatures hissed and opened red mouths in agony and rage while their thick black blood sank into the waters of the, fe- of the river. And although from the legs upward they were only slightly larger than a tall, well-built man, they had more vitality than any human, and the deepest cuts hardly seemed to affect them, even when administered by Stormbringer. Ulrich was astonished by this resistance to the sword's power. Often a nick was enough for a sword to dr- for the sword to draw a man's soul from him. These things seemed immune. Perhaps they had no souls. He fought on, his hatred giving him strength. But elsewhere on the ship the sailors were being routed. Rails were torn off and the great clubs crushed planks and brought down more rigging. 
The savages were intent on destroying the ship as well as the crew, and there was little doubt now that they would be successful. Avan shouted to Elric, By the names of all the gods, Prince Elric, can you not summon some further sorcery? We are doomed else. Elric knew Avan spoke truth. All around him, the ship was being gradually pulled apart by the hissing reptilian creatures. Most of them had sustained horrible wounds from the defenders, but only one or two had collapsed. Elric began to suspect that they did in fact fight supernatural enemies. He backed away and sought shelter beneath a half-crushed doorway as he tried to concentrate on a method of calling upon supernatural aid. He was panting with exhaustion, and he clung to a beam as the ship rocked back and forth in the water. He fought to clear his head. And then the incantation came to him. He was not sure if it was appropriate, but it was the only one he could recall. His ancestors had made pacts thousands of years before with all the elementals who controlled the animal world. In the past he had summoned help from various of these spirits, but never from the one he now sought to call. From the mouth began to issue the ancient, beautiful and convoluted words of Malnibane's high speech. King with wings, lord of all that work and are not seen, upon whose labour all else depends, Nurk of the insect folk, I summon thee. Save for the motion of the ship, Uruk ceased to be aware of all else happening around him. The sounds of the fight dimmed and were heard no more as he sent his voice out beyond his plane, beyond this plane of the earth into another, the plane dominated by King Nurk of the insects, paramount lord of his people. In his ears now, Elric heard a buzzing, and gradually the buzzing formed itself into words. Who are thou, Morto? What right hast thou to summon me? I am Elric, ruler of Malnibane. My ancestors aided thee, Nurk. Aye, but long ago. And it is long ago that they last called on thee for thine aid. True. What aid dost thou now require, Elric of Malnibane? Look upon my plane. Thou wilt see that I am in danger. Canst thou abolish this danger, friend of the insects? Now a filmy shape formed and could be seen as if through several layers of cloudy silk. Elric tried to keep his eyes upon it, but it kept leaving his field of vision and then returning for a few moments. He knew that he looked into another plane of the earth. Canst thou help me, Nurk? Hast thou no patron of thine own species? Some lord of chaos who can aid thee? My patron is Ariok, and he is a temperamental demon at best. These days he aids me little. Oh, then I must send the allies, mortal, but call upon me no more when this is done. I shall not summon thee again, Nurk. The layers of film disappeared and with them the shape. The noise of the battle crashed once again on Elric's consciousness, and he heard that with sharper clarity than before the screams of the sailors and the hissing of the reptilian savages, and when he looked out from his shelter he saw that at least half the crew was dead. As he came on deck, Schmjorgen ran up. I thought you slain, Elric, what became of you? He was plainly relieved to see his friends still lived. I saw aid from another plane, but it does not seem to have materialised. Yeah, I think we're doomed. 
and Abyss tried to swim downstream away from here and seek a hiding place of the jungle, Schmilgam said. What if Duke Ivan? Is he dead? He lives, but those creatures are all but impervious to our weapons. The ship will sink here long. Schmilgam lurched as the deck tilted, and he began. He reached out to grab a trailing rope, letting his long sword dangle by its wrist thong. They're not attacking the stern at present. We can slip into the water there. Uh, I made a bargain with Duke Ivan, Elric reminded the islander. I cannot desert him. Well, then we'll all perish. What's that? Elric bent his head, listening intensely. I hear nothing. It was a whine which deepened in tone until it became a drone. Now Schmielgen heard it also and looked about him, seeking the source of the sound, and suddenly he gasped, pointing upward. Is that the aid you sought? There was a vast cloud of them, black against the blue of the sky. Every so often the sun would flash on a dazzling colour, a rich blue, green or red. They came spiralling down towards the ship, and now both sides fell silent, staring skyward. The flying things were like huge dragonflies, and the brightness and richness of their colouring was breathtaking. It was their wings which made the droning sound, which now began to increase in loudness and heighten in pitch as the huge insects sped nearer. Realising that they were the object of the attack, the reptile men stumbled backward on their long legs, trying to reach the shore before the gigantic insects were upon them. But it was too late for flight. The dragonflies settled on the savages until nothing could be seen of their bodies. The hissing increased and sounded almost pitiful as the insects bore their victims down to the surface and then inflicted on them whatever terrible death it was. Perhaps they stung with their tails. It was not possible for the watchers to see. Sometimes a stork-like leg would emerge from the water and thrash in the air for a moment. But soon, just as the reptiles were covered by the insect bodies, so were their cries drowned by the strange and blood-chilling humming that arose on all sides. A sweating Duke Ivan, sword still in hand, ran up to the deck. Is this your doing, Prince Elric? Elric looked on with satisfaction, but the others were plainly disgusted. It was, he said. Well then, I thank you for your aid. This ship is holed in a dozen, dozen places, and is letting in water at a terrible rate. It's a wonder we have not yet sunk. I've given orders to begin rowing, and I hope we make it to the island in time. He pointed upstream. There, you can just see it. Well, what if there are more savages there? Schmielgen asked. Ivan smiled grimly, indicating the further shore. Look. On their peculiar legs, a dozen or more of the reptiles were fleeing into the jungle, having witnessed the fate of their comrades. They'll be reluctant to attack us again, I think. Now the huge dragonflies were rising into the air again, and Ivan turned away as he glimpsed what they had left behind. By the gods, you work fierce sorcery, Prince Elric. Ugh. Elric smiled and shrugged. It is effective, Duke Ivan. He sheathed his roan sword. It seemed reluctant to enter the scabbard, and it moaned as if in resentment. Schmjorgen glanced at it. The blade looks as if it will want to feast soon, Elric, whether you desire it or not. Yeah, doubtless it will find something to feed on in the forest, said the albino. He stepped over a piece of broken mast and went below. Count Schmjorgen baldhead looked at the new scum on the surface of the water. And he shuddered. <laughs>